What comes to mind when you hear the word follower? What comes to mind when you hear the word follower? Now, there was actually a study that was done, and apparently how you interpret that word follower has a lot to do with how old you are. Because if you're a young person, apparently you tend to interpret the word follower in terms of social media, right? I guess that makes a little bit of sense. Follower. In the way that we might say, so how many followers do you have on Twitter? Or we might say, hey, follow me on Instagram. If you're a younger person, according to this study that was done, you tend to think a follower in terms of social media. Now, if you're an older person, and I'll put myself in that category because this is the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about follower. If you're an older person, according to this study, you tend to think of the word follow or follower in terms of the person who doesn't think for themselves and just does whatever somebody else does, right? You remember when it used to be uncool to be a follower? I I do. When I was in elementary school and my mom would sit me down and she would say, now look, I don't want you to be a follower. I want you to be a leader. Don't do what everybody else does. I want you to make up your own mind and do your own thing and make good choices even if nobody else around you is. So in my generation, follower was kind of a bad word. It was something you didn't want to be. But in today's world, because of social media, we're all followers, aren't we? We're in a room full of followers because we all have people who follow us on social media and we follow them. Now, the interesting thing about that dynamic, though, is that the word follow in our world has pretty much lost all meaning. Like, it is kind of meaningless, useless, silly in the way that it's used today. Now, I'm not opposed to social media. You guys know uh, I love social media, but it kind of creates this weird dynamic. So think about it like this. I can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it might be, but just because I follow you online doesn't mean that we're going to have any meaningful interaction, does it? They did another study and they found out that the average person, if you look through their Facebook, their Facebook friends group, the average person has never met 12% of the people that they're friends with on Facebook. 12% of the people you've never met in real life, they're friends of a friend or they're a celebrity that you like or you know whatever it may be. And so just because you follow somebody on social media doesn't mean that you have any meaningful interaction. It gets weirder than that. I can follow you online And then after I click that follow button, I can actually click settings and I can make it so I'm following you, but I don't see anything you post and you don't see anything I post, which is kind of strange if you think about it, right? I mean, that makes the word follow a little shallow. Can you really say that you're following anybody if you never see anything they post and they never see anything you post? And I get it, okay? Like, maybe that's the right track to take with your racist Uncle Gordon, right? You know, you just don't want to see what he says. Just ignore it altogether. By the way, Gordon, if you're here this morning, I chose that name at random. Nobody's been sending me emails about you. It's a total coincidence, okay? So please don't write me me any emails about it. Um, I get it. There are times where that makes sense. But the way that we use the word follow in our world makes it a very casual and even a shallow word. And I bring all this up because the word follow is actually incredibly important in the Christian faith that it turns up over and over again in the ministry of Jesus and throughout the New Testament, that the word follow is not casual. It's not superficial. 
It's not shallow. It is actually integral or instrumental to what it means to be a Christian according to the Bible. You see, when Jesus was here on earth, he walked around ancient Israel for about three years or so, a little more than that. He wandered around ancient Israel and he would teach about God. And there would be these crowds of people that would come to hear him because he taught in ways that nobody on earth had ever taught before. And so as these people gathered around him, he would often give them an invitation. You see, he wasn't, con- uh, he wasn't content to just let people come in and to hear and then turn around and go about their merry way. He always gave them an invitation. And so often we find in the life of Jesus, the standard invitation that he gave to people was two words, only two words. Jesus would say to people, random people on the street, follow me, follow me. And we, when we read the Bible, what we find is that like, often there's not even any introduction. He doesn't walk up and he's like, hi, I'm Jesus. I want you to know that I would like you to become one of my disciples. Nothing. There's no explanation. This is what it means to follow me. I would love it if you would commit to coming to my synagogue every single Saturday or Sunday. I would love it if you give 10% of your money. There's no explanation. Nothing. He doesn't say anything. He just walks up. He looks some random stranger in the face and he says, follow me. And the amazing thing is that over and again in Scripture, people get up and follow him. Those two words, that simple invitation, changed the lives of people that received it. And then those people went on to change the world. And it started with two words. As we're going to see, he's going to extend this follow me invitation to somebody in the Scripture this morning. And we're also going to see that he extends it to every single one of us. And you may think, well, that's weird, and it's simple, and there's no explanation, and why in the world doesn't he give me some context for what any of this means in in the verses that we're going to read? But I want you to understand these two simple words have the power to transform everything. They have the power to transform your marriage. They really do. They have the power to transform your career. They have the power to transform your religion, everything you thought you knew about God. They have the power as well to transform your heart. So we're going to spend four weeks. I know that sounds ridiculous. We're going to spend the next four weeks honing in on these two little words, follow me, because they're so deep, they're so rich, and they have so much power behind them that I don't want you to miss the invitation to new, exciting, overflowing and overwhelming life through Jesus when he looks you in the eyes and he says, hey, follow me. So let's go to the scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter number nine. We're going to see an example of where Jesus says those two words to somebody, follow me. Matthew chapter number nine. Let me set this up just a little bit. This is very early in Jesus' ministry. This is like he's just barely walked on the scene. He's only starting to gain some notoriety. So of the three years that he was walking on earth, teaching and preaching, uh, this is like in the first few months. It was very, very early. And so the Bible says here in Matthew chapter number nine, we're just gonna walk through this story a little bit this morning. Verse number nine, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, 
sitting at his tax collector's booth. Matthew's going to be kind of the, the, I don't want to say the main character. Jesus is always the main character. We just spent the last month talking about that. But Matthew is kind of the, the, the guy that we're going to focus on this morning to whom Jesus gives this invitation. And Jesus is walking along and he sees Matthew sitting at his job. He's a toll booth operator. He's collecting taxes in ancient uh, Israel. And Jesus sees him. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Wait a sec, come on now. I get a little suspicious when I read these verses, okay? I consider myself a follower of Jesus. I'm a pastor for goodness sake. And yet I get a little bit suspicious when I read this because Jesus is just walking along. Matthew is having a very normal day. It was probably a Monday because weird stuff always happens on Monday. So it's Monday. He's sitting at his tax collector booth. He's doing his thing, not expecting anything out of the ordinary. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, Matthew, follow me. And he gets up and he follows him. He's never had any interaction with Jesus prior to this. Jesus has never said anything else to him. And yet in that moment, the Bible says, Matthew gets up, he leaves his job, who knows what his boss was thinking, and he starts to follow Jesus. I mean, seriously, it takes me longer to order a dessert at a restaurant than it did for Matthew to abandon his whole belief system and change to go after Jesus in the first place. It's mind-boggling. I don't know if Jesus did some sort of Jedi mind trick on him, you know? He's like, follow me. And Matthew was a robot. He's like, I guess I got to follow him. And here he goes. I don't know. I mean, there was something so compelling, something that Matthew could not say no to in that simple two-word invitation. And I'm blown away by it. I really am. I mean, come on. Like, I, I, I can't be the only one that's willing to admit that if I were in Matthew's shoes, that I would have been like, hey, Jesus, pump the brakes here for a sec, man. Like, I don't know that I'm ready to just get up and follow you. I've heard a little bit about you, but I don't really know you. I mean, how could I become your follower when I don't really even know you? You've only said two things to me, two words, follow me. How can I do that? And besides, you don't really know me. I mean, how do you even know, Jesus, that you want me to be your disciple? What if I turn out to be a Judas, you know? Some of you guys are going to be at lunch today, and you're going to get that. You're going to be like, oh, that was pretty funny. I get it, biblical humor. (laughs) All right. So sometimes they fall flat. You know, you try and the jokes fall. How do you know, Jesus, that you want me to be your follower? Like, how, how, why me? Why would you say to me, follow me? What about everybody else? Are you saying the same thing to them? I just, I don't get it. And then you say, follow me, but you don't give me any explanation. What does it even mean? to follow you. Does it, literally, does it literally just mean that I have to get up and walk after you? Is there more to it than that? I don't know. I need some more information before I can make a decision. That's how I would feel if I were in Matthew's shoes. And yet the Bible says, Jesus says to him, follow me and become my disciple. And Matthew gets up and he follows him. And what you find as you read throughout the Bible is that Matthew is not the only one. That uh, Jesus had an interaction with a couple of brothers, a couple of sets of brothers, actually. There were guys named James and John. And Jesus, Jesus shows up. They've never had any interaction before. And he says, hey, you two, I want you to follow me. And the Bible says they left behind their family business and started following him. No more explanation than that. They just got up and followed. The, the Bible says Jesus had an interaction with a guy named Philip. 
He saw Philip out, uh, out in, in uh, Israel, and he walked up to him and said, Philip, I want you to follow me. And the Bible says Philip followed him. We see the same thing with Peter and Andrew. We see it again when Jesus starts issuing the same simple two-word invitation to random people who aren't even named. Some said yes, some said no, but Jesus' ministry was based around this simple invitation. Two words, follow me. And those two words had the power to transform these people's lives. There was something so compelling, something so moving about that invitation that these men and women in the Bible, and and honestly, billions of people throughout history in the 2,000 years Jesus was here on earth, they all followed. They all uh, gave in. They responded positively to Jesus' Two-word invitation, follow me. Can you imagine if I got up here this morning and I said two words and walked out the door? I was like, follow Jesus, boom, mic drop and rolled out. You guys would be like, hey, wait a sec, we pay you for more than that. And people who saw Jesus were like, there's gotta be more to it, right? There's gotta be some more context. There's gotta be some more answers. And Jesus said, of course there is, but it starts with this, follow me. Now, the reason that so many people are willing to follow Jesus is because of what we see in the next couple of verses here. So grab your Bible. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter number nine. The verses are there on the screen if you want to follow along. Verse number 10, the scripture says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, and if you don't know who the Pharisees are, I'll explain in just a sec. You're going to be able to figure it out pretty quick. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? All right. Jesus goes to Matthew's house, okay? We read that he's at his tax booth. He's doing his daily thing. Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. And Matthew gets up. Later, Jesus is at Matthew's house. And there are a couple of things that are pointed out here in the scripture that will help you to understand why Matthew responded to Jesus the way he did. And it'll help you to understand why it's worth considering following Jesus. The first thing this passage points out is that Matthew was a tax collector. Okay? Now, look, we don't love the idea of tax collectors in the 21st century. You get a call from the CRA, and they say, we've had some, we've had some issues. There are some anomalies with your tax return last year. You freak out a little bit. And when they want to get together and go line by line over everything, you get nervous. You get sweaty. It's a little weird. But tax collectors in Jesus' day were on a whole nother level. Like it was so far beyond just like, oh, these guys make me nervous. They were actually hated in their society. And the reason why is because they collected taxes for the Roman government. So what was going on is that Israel had been taken over by the Romans. They were an occupied nation. They were conquered basically through military force throughout the generations. And so they were not free. They could not make their own laws. They were forced to give tribute to the Roman Caesars. And so the the tax collectors were local Jewish men who were hired by the Romans to collect daily, weekly, monthly salary taxes from people. And so everybody in the community saw the tax collectors as traitors. 
because they were working for the bad guys, the occupying force. Everybody thought the tax collectors were thieves because Rome would say to the tax collector, all right, I want you to collect 2% from everybody and pay it on to us. But the tax collectors would come to your house, they'd knock on the door and they would say, oh, your tax bill this year is 3.5%. And they would keep the extra percent and a half for themselves. They were stealing essentially and they would pass on what they were supposed to to the Roman government. The government didn't care. As long as they got paid, they were like, all right, we'll deal with it. It's fine. And so people hated tax collectors, could not stand them. They were completely uh, considered outcasts in their society. So for instance, tax collectors were not allowed to go into the temple. Their lifestyle was deemed so bad that they could not have a relationship with God. Wow. No self-respecting community member, Jewish person in that time would have hung out with a tax collector. Nobody would have gone to Matthew's house and said, let's have dinner, bro. Let's catch up. You're my friend. Nobody would have said that because nobody wanted to be around tax collectors. This was like the the kind of person that as you're walking down the street with your kids and you see the tax collector coming, you kind of pull them a little bit closer and you head towards the other side of the street. That's how people treated them. You would warn your kids. You'd say, be careful around these guys. They're bad guys. They cause trouble and difficulty. You don't want to grow up to be like Matthew because he's a tax collector. He's a traitor. He's a thief. He's a sinner. You don't want to be like him. In fact, they were viewed so badly that in this verse here, it says that Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. It's like they had to make two categories in order for this to, you know, encompass just how bad these guys were. It would have been, you know, mean. It would have been disrespectful to the other sinners to lump them in with the tax collectors. They were in their own category all together. So nobody liked tax collectors. So I want you to put yourself into Matthew's shoes for a sec. You're sitting there at your toll booth, you're doing your daily thing, earning your paycheck, and you feel like a total pariah. You're a social outcast. You have no friends whatsoever except for those who are also social outcasts. Nobody wants to be seen with you. You've been kicked out of your synagogue, the temple, because people believe you're not worthy of even coming close to God. Your life is quite comfortable. Your standard of living is pretty high, but it's come at a very high cost. Then one day, a rabbi walks up. He looks you in the eyes. Maybe the first time in a long time anybody looked you in the eyes. And he says, follow When you start to look at Matthew's situation, and then you think about this religious leader, this rabbi coming through and extending an invitation to relationship with Matthew, then it starts to make a little bit more sense. I understand maybe now why Matthew would get up and follow Jesus because nobody was saying to Matthew, hey, come follow us, come be our friend, come join our community, come be a part of our group. Nobody was saying that to him. And then Jesus comes along and says, I want you in my squad. Next thing you know, Jesus is at your house, which is really weird. And he says, I want you to invite all your friends over. And Matthew's like, yeah, but you know, they're also tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Are you sure? Nobody likes hanging out with them. 
guys? And Jesus says, yes, come on, bring them. I want them to come over. And so there's a nice little dinner party going on. And it's not weird. Jesus actually seems quite comfortable with everybody that you've invited over. And they seem quite comfortable with him. It's like around Jesus, the things that keep you from everyone else are the very things that draw you close to him. And again, when you start to understand that, that Jesus was showing love and grace and acceptance and welcoming people that nobody else in society was, you start to say, okay, maybe I understand now why they would get up and follow him. One of the most fascinating things about Jesus' life One of the things that blows my mind, this was one of the things that moved me towards becoming one of his followers as I was pursuing faith, as I was trying to figure it all out. One of the most mind-boggling things that you find out in the scripture is that people who were nothing like Jesus really liked Jesus. In a world where a lot of folks don't want to be around Christians, you know, if you're not a believer yourself, you're like, I don't know, they're kind of weird. Sometimes they're judgmental. I don't really feel like I belong with them. When people were around Jesus, they felt welcomed and embraced and a part of something. And I think that's why Matthew and his friends and and Philip and Andrew and Simon Peter and John and James and anybody else, this is the reason that they became his followers because they were welcomed when so many other people were pushing them away. Jesus gave them a two-word invitation. And because they felt accepted and loved by this rabbi, by this teacher, by someone who claimed to come from God and speak for God, they responded to his invitation. Oh, man, it is a beautiful thing when you see Jesus doing what only Jesus does, welcoming people in the name of God. So, We see from the first thing here that Matthew was a tax collector, and that put him on the outskirts of society. And then we also notice from these verses that there are these Pharisees, and Pharisees are religious people, okay? They're religious folks doing what religious folks often do. That is putting everybody into little categories, saying, okay, you're an insider, but you're an outsider. You're one of us but you're not. We're the good people. You're the bad people. We do the right thing. You do the wrong thing. We're God's chosen. You're scum. That was savage. That was a savage insult, by the way. You know, you're scum. They're religious, so they can't come up with anything better. So they say, you're scum. We're the good guys. You're the bad guys. We're the insiders. You're the outsiders. And that's what religious people do. They try to figure out who's right and who's wrong, who's in, who's out, who belongs, who doesn't, who's okay, who's not, who's broken, who's not broken. They spend their whole life and all of their spiritual energy trying to define everybody according to those terms. That's what the Pharisees are doing here. They look at Matthew and they say, no, 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 no. He's not the right kind of guy. You don't want to ask Matthew to come follow you. You want to ask us. Don't you know that we had the entire Old Testament memorized? They did. Pharisees had the entire thing memorized. Don't you know that we go to synagogue every week? Don't you know that we give every week like we're supposed to? Don't you know that we don't do these things and those things? We're the ones, Jesus, that you want to follow you. And Jesus says, nope. 
You're not the ones I'm looking for. I'm looking for guys like Matthew. Because religious people will always invite you to become a part of their religion. And that's true of every religion, including some types of Christianity. They will invite you to become a part of their religion. But when you read the New Testament, you find out that Jesus did not come to invite anybody to be in a religion. He invited everybody to be in a relationship. And there is a big difference between those two things. You see, if Jesus had come along and he were inviting everybody into a religion, then he would have said, okay, here are the rules. Here are the commandments. Here are the things that you have to do and have to not do. He would have explained it all out. And instead, he simply said, follow me. Because he wasn't inviting them into a religion. He was inviting them into a relationship. You see, religion looks at people like Matthew, looks at people like me and probably like you. And religion says, change and you can belong. Change and you can be a part of us. But relationship looks at people like you and I and says, come join us. Religion says, You need to believe the right things and you need to behave the right ways. And if you do, then you can belong. But when you look at the relationship that Jesus offers to each one of us, he takes it the exact opposite track and he says, you can belong and then you can become. Jesus wasn't interested in what people, uh, how they behaved. Primarily, he wasn't even interested in what they believed in the beginning. He wanted them to belong so that they could become. And that's why Jesus changed the world. There are a lot of religious leaders. There are a lot of Christian religious leaders. And they say to you, if you believe the right way and if you behave the right way, then you can belong to our group. And Jesus looks at you with all of your mess, with all of your brokenness, with everything you've ever done, He looks you dead in the eyes and he says, follow me. That's it. He gives you the invitation to take steps, to belong to something bigger than yourself so that you can become something better in the future. Jesus came to give you an invitation to a relationship, not a religion. I am never going to invite you on a Sunday morning to become a part of our religion. I'm not interested in that. Often people will say to me as I'm having conversations with them, they'll say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not very religious. And I say, yeah, me neither. And they're like, uh, you're a pastor. Actually, most often what I get is you're a priest, and I just kind of let that go. I'm like, thankfully I'm married. But anyway, um, they, just being honest. People say, look, you're a pastor. Of course you're religious. And I'm like, I don't know, you look at Jesus and it seems like he wasn't always very religious. In fact, the people that he butted heads with the most, the ones that he was most confrontational with were the ones who were religious because religious people are interested in getting you to become a part of their religion. But Jesus wants you to have a relationship with God. There is a giant difference between the two. So we've got Matthew And he's this tax collector. He's doing his own thing. Jewish rabbi walks up and he says to him, I know that you've been cast out by society, but I want you to follow me. And he does. 
Now, of course, the religious people get upset about this. The Pharisees are like, how can your followers, or how can, I'm sorry, how can your master, how can your rabbi, they say to the disciples, how can they eat with such scum, these terrible, awful, sinful people like Matthew and his friends? And I want you to see Jesus' response because it's so critical and key in understanding why anybody would respond, why anybody would become a follower of Jesus. So go back to Matthew number nine, we're gonna, chapter nine. We're gonna read verses uh, 12 and 13. When Jesus heard this, when he heard what the Pharisees, the religious people were asking and saying, he said, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now I want you guys, the Pharisees, the religious people, and he quotes an Old Testament verse. So this was a pretty savage put down in and of itself because they had memorized the entire Old Testament. They, divided, they devoted all of their spiritual energy to learning what these verses mean. And he says, I want you to go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And then he quotes the book of Hosea. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. Those were the words of God to the Israelites a few centuries before. God said, I want you to learn how to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. I want you to know how to love people and love me with all of your heart rather than doing all of the right things because that's religion. What I desire is relationship. And then he says, for I, Jesus is speaking of himself here. And he says, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Man, can you imagine Matthew sitting there like they're all at a dinner party, right? And Matthew and his buddies that he invited over, they're all sitting there and they hear Jesus talking to the religious leaders. And Matthew's like, Jesus, did did you just say we were all sick? Did you just say that we were all sinners? Like, I didn't think you were into judging people, Jesus. I didn't think that was your deal. I thought that was the Pharisees. But you get the, you get the sense that Matthew wasn't hurt by Jesus' words. Matthew knew he was a broken sinner. He knew he needed somebody in his life to rescue and redeem him. He wasn't like the Pharisees who were like, no, I got it all together. My life's good. Instead, he was like, "Ugh." If somebody doesn't come to me, if somebody doesn't give me hope or purpose or something, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Jesus said he came not for those who think they have it all together, but for those who know that they're broken, for those who know that they need rescue, for those who know that they need help. Listen, I don't know where you find yourself at this morning, I don't know if you find yourself as like the Pharisee who says basically like, I don't know, Dan, I'm listening to you talk about all this stuff. You know, you're talking about sinners and you're talking about soul sickness. And I I just don't think that's me. Maybe that's somebody else in the crowd. They need to hear this. They need some sort of crutch. They need some sort of helping hand, but I don't. If you find yourself in that place, if you find yourself saying, "I, I bootstrapped my way this far into life, I'll be okay. I'll take care of myself. If there's a God, I don't really need anything to do with him. If you find yourself in that place this morning, then I want to say to you, God bless you. I hope your life continues to go well. I really do. But I'll tell you straight up that Connect Church is not going to be the kind of church you enjoy. It's not. If you think to yourself, I'm a good person and I'm looking for a church that keeps the bad people out, 
I'm looking for, you know, I want to raise my kids in the right environment. And I don't ever want them exposed to anybody who doesn't believe what we believe. And, you know, there's temptation in the world. And man, we've sure got to stay away from it. If that's your attitude, then I want you to know there are a lot of good churches you can go find that have that same outlook. Connect isn't one of those. Our church, we desire to be the kind of place, the community where people look around and they say openly and without any shame, I don't know, man, my life's a wreck sometimes. My marriage is not perfect by any stretch. My kids, they drive me crazy. At school, I am tempted on the reg to cheat my way to my degree. That's just, I'm serious, I don't do it, but man, I'm tempted. We want to be the kind of community where in the right context, a man can say to another man, hey, you know what? Every time I open up my browser, I'm tempted to go places that I know I I, I shouldn't. But I'm glad that I've got somebody that's holding me accountable. We want to be the type of church where people are okay with not being okay. And that's because Jesus seemed to be very okay with people who were not okay. Jesus seemed all right with that. If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know, I think I'm a good person. And when I get to God, he's going to look at all my good stuff and he's going to look at all my bad stuff. And he's going to say, actually, you did more good than bad. Welcome to heaven. If that's your attitude, I just want you to know you've got religion, but you don't have relationship. You're trusting in your own goodness rather than trusting in his goodness. You're not relying on the Savior who sacrificed himself. You're relying on yourself and the sacrifices that you've made supposedly for God. There's no power in that. There's no life change in that. If Jesus had extended the invitation to religion, nobody would have followed him. But he didn't do that. He extended an invitation to a relationship. And that's what we want to invite you into this morning. Excuse me, this morning. A relationship with God through Jesus. If you hear these words in the scripture... If you hear Jesus talking about sin and sickness, if you hear these words about relationship over religion and you find something compelling in that, then I want you to know you're ready to take action as Jesus looks you in the eyes and he says, follow me. Now, I know you've probably got a thousand questions just like Matthew did, just like I did. I mean, come on, follow me. What does that even mean? What am I agreeing to follow? you're agreeing to follow Jesus. You're agreeing to put your trust in him. You say to yourself, but Dan, listen, you don't know everything that I've done. I I think maybe I'd like to follow Jesus, but I'm afraid if he knew or if you knew who I really am, what I did in the past, what happened in college, if you knew where I was last weekend, then you wouldn't be extending the invitation to follow Jesus to me. You'd be going to find somebody who's more worthy. I'm the type of guy that walks in the church and I fully expect, I just expected to burst into flames this morning. That's what I thought was going to happen the moment I showed up here. If that's where you are, I want to give you a couple of thoughts and we're done. And they're going to be fast, I promise. The first one is this. We'll put it here on the screen for you. Being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it's a prerequisite to following Jesus. He said, I didn't come to call the people who think they're healthy, who think they have it all together. I came to call people who are willing to admit that they're broken and they need rescue. They need help in their life. Just like Matthew, just like Pastor Dan, maybe just like some of you. 
Hear me when I say this. There is no sin. There's no habit. There's no circumstance. There's no addiction. There is nothing that you've ever done and nothing that you've ever done to someone else that can prevent you from following Jesus. Nothing. He took guys like Matthew, guys like Peter, James, John, and a whole bunch of nobodies, a whole bunch of broken and flawed, sinful people, and he changed the course of history, not by starting a religion, but by extending an invitation to relationship. So know that there is nothing you've done that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Second thing we'll put up here, and man, I want you to be, just stay with me, because I'm going to say this, and some of you guys are going to be like, boom, I made it 30 minutes through the message, then he broke out the heresy, I'm out, all right? I want you guys to stay with me, because this last point is really key, and I want you to hear what I'm saying, not what you're afraid I'm saying, okay? Here we go. I told you that being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from, uh, from following Jesus, and I'll also say this, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you from taking your first steps in following Jesus. All right, now, I know that's a little weird for some of you guys who are believers. You are Christians. You're like, wait, our whole faith is based around follow or believing in Jesus as God's son, as our redeemer and all of those things. But I want you to think about this for just a sec, okay? Matthew got up and followed Jesus when he had zero answers, none whatsoever. Jesus only said to him, follow me. And that's all he had to go on. But what about this? And am I supposed to do that? And how can I become this? And do I need to? And Jesus says, none of that is important right now. I just want you to respond to these two words, follow me. Now you will, I believe, if you follow Jesus, you will eventually come to believe that he was more than a man that he was actually sent from God to redeem us and to show us what it means to have a relationship with him. But even if you're thinking to yourself, I don't, I don't believe any of that right now, you can still start to follow Jesus. You can take steps of faith even before you have all the answers and explanations. I'm here to tell you, I've been a Christian for like 20 something years and I still don't have all the answers. I've got degrees in the Bible and I can show you questions that I don't have answers to that you probably haven't thought of yet. So there's never gonna be a time where you have all the information you need in order to make a decision to follow Jesus. It's always gonna be a step of faith. It's always gonna be because you believe that an invitation to this kind of relationship is worth committing to even if you don't have all the answers yet. That's what Jesus offers. That's what he asks, that you would follow him in your brokenness, with your lack of answers, with your confusion, with your heartache, with everything you think you know about religion and God and Christianity. He wants you to bring it all along and through the process of following him, he will help you to become the person that God made you to be. You don't have to be anything in order to belong in Jesus. All you have to do is respond in faith and say, yeah, Jesus, I don't even know what I'm signing up for at this point, but there is something so compelling about those two words that all I can say is yes.